Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Chris Fedor. We are into August, toward the end of the NBA offseason, but still some things for the Cavs and other teams to figure out. Colin Sexton, LeBron James has a big day looming on Thursday. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Donovan Mitchell, all those different things. And joining us on today's episode to sort through all of it, Bleacher Report's terrific NBA insider. He is also an author of the book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. You've seen his scoops. You've read his stuff. It's my guy, Jake Fisher. What's going on, man? Appreciate you joining me today. Cleveland, <laughs> this is for you. What's up, man? How you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great, man. How's your off-season treating you? Quote-unquote off-season. Off-season. I mean, honestly, as I will share a lot, probably qualifying all of what I say, I kind of I got, I got my feet up on the couch. I'm hanging out. I'm not pestering too many people around the league right now. It's good. I'm hanging out. I, I feel like you're probably more in a state of limbo than myself. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because when it comes to the Cavs, Jake, it, it's nice on one hand because you feel like a lot of their business has been taken care of. They had different things that they wanted to accomplish coming in this offseason, and they've accomplished all of them. But the one big thing remains, and that's Colin Sexton. And it just doesn't feel like to me that there's any resolution coming anytime soon. So sitting and waiting is not all that fun, especially when you have a feeling of, like, yeah, it could happen at any point because that's the way that the NBA is and that's the way the business goes. But on the other hand, you're like, this is probably going to drag on for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think this was something you and I both were kind of anticipating would happen if, because this is kind of a case of inertia, right? We were, if something didn't break, this is kind of where things I think were always going to, to happen or unfold, especially once the situations that we had heard were potential landing spots. Like Detroit was whispered for a while. Indiana yep. was whispered for a while. Washington was whispered for a while. Once those landing spots dried up, it really was starting to look like we were going to be hurtled into the situation, uh, if you will. And um I'm sure we're going to unpack it a lot more. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up and let you go with wherever you were going to take it. I was going to take it right there. I was going to ask you right away at this point, early into August, what's your read on the Colin Sexton situation? Yeah. You know, I was talking to someone in the last week or so. We were trying to figure out the last high-profile-ish player to take the qualifying offer. Mm. And after turning down like a, a legitimate offer from a team yeah. um, and they said to me, Kentavious Caldwell Pope, who happens ah. to be another client of Rich Paul, who is the agent of Colin Sexton here. Um, so I had heard from the get go. I, I know uh, reading your work, listen to your stuff. I know you heard the same thing that the number Colin had in mind was in that, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Simons, 20, maybe even more a year ballpark, right? That's what they were hoping for. There are definitely analytics guys I know around the league who have seen the numbers and look look at this guy, the 20-point-per-game scorer. He can really you know, be a linchpin of an offense for large stretches of, of winning basketball before he got hurt. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately for certain players like – you look at last year's center market and where Sean Holmes was out there and Noel was out there and down the list, like a lot, it's a lot of big men thought Charlotte was going to be 
a spot that was going to throw them a big money contract. Well, yep. they went out and traded for Mason Plumley on draft night. That takes out one landing spot and one landing spot out of three, let's say, and that, that that's a really dramatic loss for a player. So I'm sure there was a scenario where the market could have broken where Colin could have gotten that much money. It's just not the case right now. And to wrap this up, I've also read your stuff along the same lines of mine that the Cavs, they want to bring Colin Sexton back. They've offered him this three-year deal that, I mean, Jordan Clarkson's been the name that I've heard mm-hmm. all along. You know, he is, a, Colin is a sixth man. That is what he is. That's what his role is going to be on this team. And I think that's not exactly what his role was right when he first got hurt. Um, but that's where it stands now. And this is going to be a, a factor in Tyler Hero's conversations with Miami too. There is a thing in the league that if you were not a starter, teams that's that's a difficult inflection point between team side and agent side of well it might sound nominal because he's also probably in the top five and he's going to be closing a lot of games but Mm -hmm. do you pay x amount of dollar for someone who's not even a starter it's a difficult proposition for some teams to make it's interesting too because when it comes down to it and i've tried to phrase this a few different ways but but getting in the general sense of it like this isn't about Colin and what he brings to the table and and teams around the NBA, including the Cavs, not liking it or not valuing it. It's about trying to find what is the right value for that kind of player with that kind of role. And you're right. The Cavs like him. They want him back. They're confident that he's going to be back. I talked to somebody earlier this morning that said Colin's coming back. It's just a matter of how it's going to happen and what the number is going to look like. Is it going to be a multi-year deal? Is it going to be the qualifying offer? So they're banking on Colin coming back, the Cavs are. It's just right now, Jake, it feels like he's a victim of market and he's a victim of circumstance. Mm -hmm. This situation for Colin Sexton being a restricted free agent this offseason with the teams that lacked cap space coming into this and then the cap space drying up and him also coming off a pretty significant injury like this is the worst timing for for a player that i can think of to be hitting the market yeah it it, it happens across the board there are a ton of guys who they get hurt in a contract year and if they're not kevin durant Mm. they're gonna get impacted by it that's just what i mean dante divincenzo turns down an extension from Milwaukee, gets hurt, ends up being in trade talk for the last year and a half. He gets he gets traded to sack twice because, you know, that first deal with Bogdanovich ended up getting, you know, pulled. Yep. Um, and then the Kings decided they wanted Malik Monk instead. And he's all he's off to the Golden State now on a one year, you know, make good it's a two year deal, but it's really a one year with a player option to to kind of make good and try to get back in the market just like Colin in theory would if he were, were to take that QO because if you really do believe you got a $20 million ish, you know, range when healthy and your best case scenario coming into the market with your best foot forward, I can see the argument of why would I lock myself into a three year and I, I and I believe from my conversations, it doesn't sound like there'd be like a three, like a two plus one player option that's on the right. board from, from Cleveland, right? No. The player option was a huge, huge talking point this summer across the league, but definitely, you know, in the fifth year of these five-year supermaxes. And I know that was something that uh, Rich Paul was hoping for um, in Darius Garland's deal. Yep. 
And when John Morant's deal came out and did not have a player option, that really did help Cleveland. And you look at these small market teams, you know, Memphis and New Orleans with Zion, these markets don't want to give players player options. They want to nope. have them under team control because they do believe in them and they believe in what they're building. But I see, I see the, I see as much as someone can look at, you know, hoops hype has probably ripped, you know, both of us multiple times saying Colin Sexton wants $20 million. Like, the market is growing every single year. The cap is expected to be going up by 10% every single year. So I do play devil's advocate in this situation for both sides, because like you said, from Cleveland's perspective, it makes so much sense to lock, to be able from Cleveland's perspective, it makes so much sense for Colin to lock himself into a third, like $13 million is not nothing. That's a lot of money. 42, whatever the the math would be, 39, whatever, like over three years is a lot of money. That's a big investment that a team wants to make. But I can totally see why someone would say, you know, what if I go out and kill it this year? We are a playoff team. I can show myself in this winning environment. Maybe I can be like a Reggie Jackson leaving OKC and get the bag a team you know, not Detroit now, but in that type of situation. So, um, you know, I remember when, when I put out the tweet that you're going to come on my show after we do this, like someone said, oh, he should go to Charlotte. He'd be a great secondary guard next to LaMelo. Like, sure, maybe one day, you know what I mean? Like there, right. there could be opportunities like that out there, but it is hard to turn down the opportunity to me that's sitting out there in your face right now. Yeah. The one thing that I do go back to when, when it comes to, is Colin going to take a multi-year deal that that is way less than what he originally wanted and his camp wanted coming into this? And and I asked somebody in his camp point blank a couple of months ago. I said, "What do you think the market value is for Colin? Like honestly, what do you think it is? What do you think it should be?" And they brought up Jalen Brunson and they brought up Anthony Simons and they brought up Terry Rozier and the contract that he got a couple of years ago from Charlotte that escalates over time. And they said, we'll put it this way, because we're not going to go into too many details. It starts with a two annually, not a one. And I was like, okay, understandable. I just keep going back to something, Jake. Colin, in in covering him for the last couple of years and getting to know him, he is very much a bet on himself, F you, I'm going to prove you wrong kind of guy. Yeah. And that just leads me down the path of if there's somebody who is so sure in themselves and their ability and their their potential of proving people wrong, it's this guy. And if there's somebody who would take the qualifying offer in a weird situation um, and bet on himself and try and rebuild his value and show people that he can be effective in the sixth man role and show people that he can be a winning player and all these other um all these other factors that that people wonder about with him, like that's the kind of guy that I could see taking the qualifying offer. Yeah, and it's, I started saying that all the way back in summer league, honestly. And mm-hmm. I remember, you know, in general, people online like to make a stink when we are saying what we think is going to happen, or you know, give a quote opinion on what's going to happen. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, like, we don't know what's going to happen with Colin Saxon in Cleveland right now. We can only make educated guesses based off of our intel because 
Yep. Colin Sexton is a human being like you and I who could wake up tomorrow and decide, sure, I'm going to take the qualifying offer. He could wake up tomorrow and say, sure, I'm going to take this. He could say, how about we do a two-year, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. various amount of outcomes. But from everything you just said, that was also my thinking as well. When I, I started to see the board get squeezed and realized Cleveland's kind of been at this number for months now. Like, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, they had extension conversations in the fall. Right. And they had a number as they're doing all their accounting, as they're trading for Karis Levert, as they're doing other moves on on the margins, like they have a number in mind of what yeah. they want to give Colin Sexton. That's how smart, savvy front offices work. Which, let's be honest, most there there are very few teams now who are like, oh, we'll call up that team. They're not run very well. We're gonna right. pull them over a barrel. There's pretty much every every front office now is shrewd and savvy because that game has become as competitive as the game on the court. So, I mean, with all that being said, it really has seemed like he's going to take the QL, not all along, but once we got past that first weekend. Yeah. Because just like, you know, with the Kevin Durant trade sweepstakes where it's kind of like, you know, two unstoppable forces where Kevin Durant wants out, but the Nets won't move him for anything short of their asking price. If no one meets their asking price, if Kevin Durant doesn't make a stink about not wanting to be there, holding out, training camp, all that stuff, they're not going to trade him. If Cleveland doesn't give more money, if Colin Saxon doesn't accept their offer or accept the qualifying offer, we're going to be where we're at. And Cleveland has seen Clutch hold out into training camp like with Tristan Thompson in the past. They saw KCP take the qualifying offer in Detroit like I talked about earlier. So there's a lot of different outcomes that could happen. And I think that's also kind of why – we're in a staring contest a bit because it does seem like maybe both sides are thinking the other still might cave, even yeah. though the lines have been drawn. So we're just yeah. kind of waiting it out. I think the other thing that Clutch could be waiting for, and, and I don't know that it would have a direct impact on the Cavs, but it would change some things. It would change the calculus in the NBA. A Donovan Mitchell trade would change yeah. some things, right? A Kevin Durant trade would change some things. A Kyrie Irving trade could change some things and where a team wants to go or the kind of money that a team could have available. Yeah. But, but like the thing that's not going to change is the two teams with the most cap space right now, San Antonio and Indiana, Colin Sexton doesn't make a lot of sense for those teams. Number one, they're loaded with guards. And number two, it looks like both of them are in like earlier stages of a rebuild where yeah. it's like, okay, if we bring Colin there, then he's taking developmental opportunities and playing time away from the young guys that we consider part of the core of mm-hmm. this rebuild moving forward. No, it's a great point about the Donovan and KD stuff. A, because obviously Cleveland snuck their way into the James Harden deal yeah. and, and pulled out a pretty valuable asset in Jared Allen. Um, but also, I wrote this a couple of weeks back now is my, my story of leaving Vegas. That I know Utah, at least, I mean, it's interesting being that certain teams have certain top level actors who will call around and they'll discuss deals and lay out scenarios that they'd be interested in that maybe not necessarily other people in their team might be interested in um, or people above them with their team. <laughs> would be interested in. But all that being said, like I do know that there was a faction of folks in Utah who were, very curious about the idea of going out and getting Colin Sexton um, and pairing him with Donovan before they started really listening to calls. So if they do decide to hold on to him, if there isn't a 
an offer that meets the Jazz's absorbent asking price, I definitely could see them uh, still trying to go back to that well if Colin is still on the board. The only thing there is, like, it's honestly difficult. I'm not going to pull up the trade machine right now to look at the numbers. <laughs> but, like, a Mike Conley for Colin Sexton yeah. signing trade, which I was the first number that I – or name yep. I had heard, which, you know, makes sense for Utah side of things. Um, you know, the Cavs don't need another backup guard. Um, I mean, I really don't know what piece on Utah yeah. would be – like, is it Bogdanovich? You know, maybe right. – but like, it's it's at least something that I've heard credibly enough that I would you know say now, and I've written in the past to keep an eye on a potential alternative outcomes to Colin Sexton not returning to Cleveland. But like you said, that's a big if. It's all dependent on what happens with the Donovan. Yeah, and there are a couple of things too to add to that, Jake. Number one, um, one of the executives in the NBA that Kobe Altman is closest to is actually Justin Zanuck in Utah. And the two teams have worked trades before and they've done it really, really quietly. Uh, two, I'm told through my sources that J.B. Bickerstaff would love to coach Mike Conley again. They were together in Memphis. Um, now that, when I heard that, that was before the Cavs went out and they brought back Ricky Rubio and they brought yeah. in Howell Neto. So the status quo has changed on that a little bit. And the third thing is like anybody that the Cavs would bring back. The luxury tax looms over this whole Colin Sexton discussion, including in a potential sign and trade with Dallas, with Miami, with Utah, with whatever team you want to throw around that you think makes sense for Colin. If the Cavs were to take back, and sign and trades with Colin are going to be complicated if he gets the kind of salary that he wants because base year compensation stuff is going to complicate everything and what the Cavs would have to take back in terms of salary and how many roster spots the Cavs have already used, which is 15, full 15. So that's complicated in itself. And then Bogdanovich, Conley, like any of those names that you would talk about would put the Cavs in the tax. And they want to avoid that. I'm told mm -hmm. that they want to avoid that. Like, would they do it for Donovan Mitchell? Sure, they would go into the tax for somebody like Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant. But they do not want to start the luxury tax clock this year when they're not a bona fide playoff team, right? They're on the fringes oh. of that. They're, I think I saw some power rankings of the Eastern Conference, and they were either eighth or ninth. Like, that's fighting your way into the playoffs. That's not a guaranteed playoff team. So that kind of team really can't go into the luxury tax. So they don't want to go into the tax for Colin. I don't think they're going to go into the tax to take back Mike Conley in a mm -hmm. sign and trade or Bogdanovich in a sign and trade, even though you could say like both those guys would help the Cavs. The question is, would any of them help the Cavs enough for them to go into the tax? And from yeah. what I'm told, like of the teams that make the most sense for Colin in a sign and trade, the Cavs have shown no interest in taking back pieces from Utah, Dallas, or Miami at this mm -hmm. point. Yeah. No, Miami I've heard, in the past too it's been that's been curious to me though i don't really see the obvious fit as to why i agree but he's especially with hero there exactly maybe they're thinking of him as a potential hero replacement mm. um yeah i had i kept hearing you know pat Riley likes context and pat Riley likes context and from one person that i trust who knows things but they also sometimes get things wrong so i was like huh not sure about that dallas yeah. i mean makes a ton of sense to me being that they've you know they just lost talking about Jalen Brunson right like they've mm -hmm. lost their secondary ball handler scorer type uh 
you know, backcourt mate next to Luca. Um, and I know that Tim Hardaway Jr. is a name that they've floated out there uh, for many scenarios, even back to when Cleveland was in the final stages of getting Kyrie Levert from Indiana. The Pacers were talking to Dallas about something based off THJ salary. So making deducing by someone in the league I actually was talking to this morning complimented me on my deduction skills. That's how I think you have to do these things, right? That's right. And Tim Hardaway Jr.'s salary would seem to be the obvious outgoing piece in any type of thing there. Um, But yeah, to your point about how much better does that make Cleveland versus just the option that is just bringing back Colin from where they're looking at things right now. Yeah. And to your point about deducing and connecting dots, the Cavs are about $13 million away from the luxury tax as it is right now. And they can make other moves, right? Dean Wade's on a non-guaranteed deal, but they like him. And Lamar Stevens is on a non-guaranteed deal, but they like him too. And I think they feel like if they had to, they could send Jetty Osman or Dylan Windler into cap space if they attach some future draft capital to that. Yeah. Either to San Antonio or Indiana. Um, but Steady Osmond, every transaction window, his name is all right there. <laughs> I mean, poor, poor Jetty, he's been on the trade block like as much as Kevin Love and Miles Turner at this point yeah. in his career. Um, but they're about 13 million away from the luxury tax and they're not going into the tax. So the Cavs are looking at this situation saying, Colin, like we're offering you the most that we can while also trying to avoid the luxury tax. So if you think about a Colin Sexton offer, 13 is about the range that they're going to be comfortable in, given all the other moves that they made this offseason. Yeah, it's interesting. I, when I put out the that the luxury tax payments were going to hit last week, and it was $10 mm-hmm. million, dollars, um, it was interesting to see how many fans were, re- were ready to call out their ownership group for not being willing to pay that. And Look, not only does it get costly from your side of things when you start to get into the repeater tax situation, which Cleveland, if they continue on this trajectory, they're going to head there, right? Right. They already have two all-stars who are under 25 years old and are yep. going to be only getting better. Evan Mobley is probably you know, going to be one of those guys too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just gonna, yeah, it's going to continue to be a pricey situation. So if you can avoid it right now and also get – that $10 million next year to do certain things with it in your franchise, not a bad payoff either. Yep. All right. So to put a bow on the Colin thing, and then we can move on to other topics because I think there are bigger topics in the NBA too, to talk about some of them related to the Cavs. Um, What is the league wide view on Colin? Mm -hmm. What is the sense that you get of that? So I think his defense seems to have been, according to like the league wide view, I feel like the, the, the pulse is that his defense was overvalued in college. Mm. He was, he was supposed to be this lockdown perimeter guy, super competitor. You know, everyone talked about the people who loved Colin Saxon in that draft. were talking about how that four on five game at Alabama, where they, they, did they even win that game or something like that? Or they had a crazy comeback. They didn't, but, they finished the game three on five, and I think yeah. Colin had 40 or something, something like, like that, that yeah. and almost led them to a comeback. Look at this competitor. No one's yep, going right. to work harder than him. Yeah. And, I mean, similar to Donovan Mitchell, like that has not been his calling card at the NBA level. He's not a negative defender, at least. I mean, not not I've never heard anyone complaining about him being a negative defender, but he's not that pit bull 
you know, Patrick Beverly type defender mm-hmm. also doing this 20 point scoring on the other side of the floor, which like, that's a lottery pick. That's a top 10 pick. That's someone that you're really willing to expend 20 plus million dollars on. Um, so there are definitely people who are far higher on his scoring chops than others. And I think you can look at the numbers and think, wow, like this is, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't have the metric off the top of my head, but the per minute production, yep. um, I believe he was shooting at, at a pretty high clip before he got hurt. Um, you know, if he is, if he really is a 40% three point shooter and somebody who can get to the rim, like that's probably one of, if not the best sixth men in the league, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a thing about consistency and that's, that's a big, you know, the, the, the trope of availability is the best ability is yeah. out there. To me, the best ability I've come to learn or what I believe is to be the best ability or the most valued ability is consistency. That's the difference between someone like Jetty Osmond being Jetty Osmond or being, mm-hmm. you know, Larry Markkinen. And then mm-hmm. between Larry Markkinen and Kevin Love, you know, there's being consistent pushes things, um, across the board of whether you're a role player to a rotation player or a rotation player to a starter. Um, And that's kind of, I think, been one of the bigger criticisms of his offensive side of things. And then the last question on Colin, what do you think is the most likely outcome? Is it the QO? I think so. Because unless a trade happens Mm. where, like you said, the deck is cleared or a not trade happens and whatever, um, there's going to need to be an if in order to change that. If there is no if, I mean, Cleveland's not coming up. Right. I don't think Colin's going to want to take the three-year deal. It's been out there all along. Or maybe, you know, he has influence suggesting don't take the deal, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, because I, I, I know there is certainly a thought that he would be far more of an attractive offer as an unrestricted free agent next summer because a lot of teams don't want to get caught up in what Phoenix right. is, where you end up or what Indiana did, where you end up making an offer sheet and it's kind of hanging over your whole summer or a little while and you just don't get the guy anyway. Yeah. So when he reaches the market as an unrestricted free agent, by just by definition, there should be more opportunity for him, um, which I do think is something that him and his people are banking on. All right, Jake. So moving on to bigger picture stuff in the NBA, Kevin Durant, what is the latest there? <laughs> There's <laughs> not much new, man. I mean... I really, really don't think that he's getting traded anytime soon. Honestly, I don't think he's getting traded at all. Like I said, like I said, at some point in this, there is going to need to be one of two things. Some team like Boston or Toronto is going to have to come in and make just a rich, rich, rich offer. Yeah. That's going to have to be multiple all-star caliber players and picks. Or Kevin Durant is going to have to say, I don't want to be here. Get me the hell out of here and really light a fire under Brooklyn's asses to get things going. I don't think either of those two things are going to happen. I mean, I haven't talked to Kevin Durant about it, right? Mm -hmm. But from everything I've heard over the years and uh, over the last 12 months, he does not seem to be the type of player who would sit on the sidelines to prove a point. He was furious when, when Harden came back out of shape. And was super disappointed when he started, you know, sitting with those hamstring tightnesses um, right before the trade deadline, trying to, you know, lubricate the wheels to get a trade happening. Um, he, when I was told when he was hurt 
in Golden State during the playoffs. He didn't even sit on the – I knew he wasn't sitting on the bench during those games. So I asked mm-hmm. him on there why he wasn't. And they said he it just kills him so much to be have his feet on the wood but not actually able to go out there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to – especially right. he's 34. He, he's lost a season with that Achilles injury. Yep. He's lost other time with injuries. Like I don't think this guy – wants to waste the last bits of his prime trying to force his way to a different situation where, cause you know, he didn't demand a trade. That's something one person told me recently. He requested a trade okay. and the Nets are definitely hoping that he is someone who he has changed his mind a lot in his career. So he's someone that they're hoping will change his mind, come training camp, look at the roster they've built and suggest that there could be a legitimate title opportunity for him in Brooklyn still. Yeah. So, Jake, I get asked all the time, why aren't the Cavs involved in these Kevin Durant talks? Don't they have the pieces if they wanted to do it? So I'm going to ask you, hypothetically, if the Cavs wanted to go down that road, what would it take for them to satisfy Brooklyn's wants in a KD deal? Well, there's no way Cleveland would move Garland, right? So you got to take him off the board. From the net side of things, the Cavs would have to put Jared Allen and Evan Mobley on the table in order to do that either. You're saying Cleveland wouldn't do that? No, not Mobley. Uh-uh. No. So that's why I think right from the jump, they're never – I mean, I am I was told every single team checked in, right? So You I'm have sure to. You have KD. To. But that, I, that doesn't mean – I mean, most of those talks didn't go very far. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to the Cavs, they, they have made a commitment to build around Darius Garland, um, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. And, like, if you're ranking those guys within – Jared Allen's probably the most attainable, but they're in no hurry to move on from him. They feel like the number that they got him at is team-friendly enough. He's the anchor of their defense, too. Like The way that they play, in large part, is because of the way that Jared Allen can play and the way that he can protect on the defensive end of the floor. And it's interesting because, you know, for a couple of years, there, there was a thought around the Cavs of, you know, do we have pieces that fit? We like the young pieces that we have, but do they all fit together? When we start considering fit more and we're chasing wins, are they going to fit? And that's the thing about their trio. Darius Garland and Jared Allen, that is a lethal pick and roll combo. Like they help each other. And Jared Allen being able to play the five while Evan Mobley's not yet ready to play the five, they can play together as well. Mm -hmm. So the three most important pieces for the Cavs in their future not only are they really, really talented with a lot of upside still, a lot of untapped potential, but they all fit together. That's a big thing when you're talking about constructing a team and trying to take that next step as an organization. Especially in a conference that right now has to deal with Kevin Durant, has yep. to deal with Giannis for you know however many years. Oh, God, yeah. Deal with Joel Embiid. Bam yep. out of bio is a big piece in Miami. The Bulls, you know, from everything I've heard, they, you know, they obviously went out and got Vucevic. They're continuing to look to, you know, better that position in the future. Um, I mean, every team really at the top. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving out other teams, but there's just there's going to be big men that they're going to have to go through. Um, and obviously, there are talents like Victor Wembanyama coming into the league, <laughs> got Jokic in the in the West, and Carl Anthony yep. Towns and Rudy Gobert. Like there, there's going to be, I mean, the big man's not dying. That's for sure. They're, they're right. only evolving into a more and more dangerous species if you've got the talent. So 
Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are, are two examples of that. Yeah. What about Kyrie? For Kyrie, is it just basically Brooklyn or the Lakers? Yeah, former Cavalier Kyrie Irving. It's almost yeah. like we've. It's almost like he's been in such a an odyssey since he left Cleveland that I forget he was ever a member of the Cavaliers. Sometimes <laughs> you forget um, one of the biggest shots in NBA Finals history. <laughs> I don't forget the shot, but I forget everything else. <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> um, no, I think look. If he had been healthy, if he had played, if he hadn't potentially been the driver of blowing up the entire bubble and maybe the NBA as itself existed, um, maybe there would have been more interest in him around the league. I mean, the Lakers certainly would love to go get Kyrie Irving. I think Kyrie, as things stand, you know, if I had to, if I put, if we put Kyrie. Um, with a with with true serum and, and sat him down and had him be our third co-host right now, I'm sure he would think that there's a overwhelming chance he's a Laker come this time next year. Mm. Right now, the Lakers don't have any assets that any team can go buy a player, let alone yeah. move off of Russell Westbrook's deal and turn that into someone who is an All-Star level player. Because sure, you know Lakers fans want to scream. And cry about how well if there's no other option for Kyrie, then Brooklyn's not just going to let him walk out the door for nothing. Well, they don't have to do it now. They could bring this back, try to see how things go. The trade deadline still exists way out in February. Yeah, they're not. No one is. No one is a taking on Russell Westbrook's deal for less than two first-round picks, which the Lakers have yet to do, or let let to make available in any conversation from. from I mean, from the last I've heard, and. It's going to be difficult to even find a third team. To, like, let's say it is Utah in a post-Donovan Mitchell trade, or it's the Knicks in a post-Donovan Mitchell trade, or um, whatever, San Antonio. Like, to find a third team that's going to take on Russell Westbrook's deal, you need to compensate that team. Right. Then you need to find players to go back to L.A. and to your Kyrie. Then you need to find win-now pieces and appropriate capital to go back to Brooklyn. This seems like a really, really tall task. The one thing I said in there that actually I think makes the most sense is something where the Lakers um, are getting back long-term salary like Julius Randle's deal. Mm. From the war. I, I, I don't know how serious those talks have ever been, and I do know that would be contingent on the Knicks actually getting Donovan. Um, but that's the only real scenario I see Russell Westbrook being moved right now um, without the Lakers sacrificing two first-round picks if there's some long-term salary coming back. And that's not the case with the Nets, right? Kyrie mm-hmm. Irving is not long-term salary. He's on an expiring deal, and they're trying to do whatever they can to create a winning environment around Kevin Durant. Yeah. Brought up the Lakers. Thursday's a big day. LeBron James, he can get an extension from Los Angeles. He can choose to sign it, or he can choose to you know, hit free agency this upcoming summer. What do you think is going to happen there? To be honest, I really don't know, but I would think he is going to stick around in LA. Okay. He's, he's planted his flag there. It's been, yeah. you want a title. It's been, I mean, he seems very, very well at home in Los Angeles. And, you know, when the all-star game was back in your, your country and uh, <laughs> that, you know, buzz started and yeah. I mean, that, that, that wasn't a coincidence, right? Right. There was a family reunion. 
he had all of his guys with him at the at the post All Star game press conference after hitting the game winner and talking about everything. I already pulled Jason Lloyd aside. There were all these whispers throughout the entire weekend from people who would know. Oh, you know, Cleveland could be a great little homecoming. Uh-huh. And everything I was told and heard, sure it would be, but not anything like a situation that's in LA right now, or like was Cleveland when he was here when he was there previously, mm. it would have to be kind of like Karis LeVert coming into Cleveland. Like a veteran piece is going to help put everyone over the top. And yeah. that doesn't seem to be the situation that he's really looking for either. So I don't know outside of Cleveland, like where else would he really go? Like, yeah, it doesn't make like LeBron is a type of guy, his people, his camp, they care about, narrative arc and your story and your legend and chasing ghosts and all that type of stuff. It's pretty nice to have gone to three different teams and won a title for all those teams and finish his career in this like Hollywood chapter, you know, maybe going somewhere to play with Bronny mm-hmm. would be great and a nice little coda to everything. But it really did seem like the flavor at all-star weekend was it's either LA or Cleveland. Cleveland didn't seem too legitimate and, I'm sure, you know, if he became an unrestricted free agent or the Lakers went out and put him on the trade block, a bunch of teams would be interested. But at that price, it's difficult because who knows what he's going to continue to be able to produce as his salary continues to go up. And, you know, they're going to want a lot of control or a lot of influence on roster making and decision making and all that type of stuff. It does seem like he's happy in Los Angeles, despite the fact that the Lakers have some big questions to answer about their roster construction and whether they can compete for titles. It's a weird situation, Jake, because I think on one hand, you're right. He's entrenched in L.A. He always wanted to be a Laker. I don't know if LeBron thought at this stage of his career he would still be playing at the level that he's playing at. We're chasing championships is so high on his priority list. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he still is at that point where he's good enough to compete for championships if he has the right pieces around him. So I don't know how he balances that against the Lakers situation against the fact that him and his family are happy in Los yeah. Angeles. They've adopted that. Savannah's happy there. Bryce is obviously thriving as a basketball player. He's going to be, I think, a sophomore. Bronny's going to be a senior. So I don't know, man. It's just like if he would leave, I could see coming back to Cleveland because that has hometown attached to it. It's always going to. But like going to Dallas or something else to finish his career. Back to Miami. It's it's hard for me to see that back to Miami. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard for me to see that. You never say never with LeBron, and and he can always surprise you. Yeah. But I don't know. It's hard to see that one. No one I've talked to in around the Lakers this summer has been like like worrisome mm. about what's happening. I'll say that. Yeah. And the thing I'll say with the Cavs, like just from a basketball standpoint, purely a basketball standpoint, if he's into chasing championships, if that remains the primary goal you would be hard-pressed to find a situation playing alongside Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and some of the other pieces that the Cavs have. Like, at the end of LeBron's career, that is a 
perfect situation. That's the situation that he was building towards here in Cleveland the first time. Like, I'm going to mm -hmm. give Kyrie Irving the blueprint, and I'm going to pass the torch, and it's, it's, it's going to make it so that I don't have to be, like, everything LeBron James for the Cavs to compete. And then he goes yeah. to Los Angeles, and he's like, well, I got Anthony Davis here. I can pass the torch <laughs> to him, so I don't have to be everything for us to be competitive. This situation for a LeBron at the end of his career in what he would be looking for from a basketball standpoint, I think would be really, really appealing. And for yeah. the Cavs, like they're not going to blow up their roster for LeBron and they're not sitting there like they were in 2014 saying, come save us, come save us. Right. Um, and Lowry Markin is their starting three. So I don't think they're going to look at LeBron if they have the cap space available, which they do right now. And if LeBron has an interest in coming, I don't think the Cavs are going to be like, nah, dude, we're all right. We'll just yeah. go with Lowry Markkinen for a third year. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's not a situation where it's like, please come save us because we've got nothing else going on here in this franchise. Yeah, yeah. it was it was explained to me that a reunion from Cleveland side of things would have to be on shared terms and not yeah. what it was back in 2014 was – Cleveland or, you know, Cleveland had a meeting with LeBron, like yep. a bunch of teams or they even meet with LeBron and that was Rich Paul and Mark Termini. And they said, you know, go and make, go and make the space available and then we'll decide if we're going to come join you. Not, it wasn't, you know, there's a handshake deal. And I don't think that was just revisionist history trying to cover up tampering stuff. I really yeah. do believe David Griffin made all those moves with Brooklyn and I think Boston was in there mm -hmm. um, offloading. I forget who the two. Yeah. Um, to like show LeBron, look, here's the door. Come on through. Mm -hmm. I do not, I, I, not that they're going to stiff arm him, but to your point, I, I think it's going to be more of a, how can we make this work for all of us? How can we be a team? How can we add you to what we're doing? Not, how do you roll out the red carpet to welcome home LeBron? So last thing, Donovan Mitchell, that's the other big name that's been out there for the last couple of months. Um, do you think he starts the season with Utah or do you think something gets done this offseason? No, I'm, I'm less certain about him than Kevin Durant. Um, okay. But because the Knicks, the Knicks have an offer out there they can make that will mm -hmm. get it done. They've wanted to get Donovan for years. Yes. They were make, you know, they made that whole stink and that whole, you know, secret agent type, you know, we're going <laughs> to we're going to show up and, you know, make you see us at the Jazz Mavericks game. They got Jalen, you know, now they got one more guy to go get. Yeah. So it's just a matter of the other teams involved, Toronto, Washington, Charlotte, I've heard um, like those teams just don't have anything close to the offer that or Miami too that the Knicks can in terms of draft capital. And clearly the Jazz are valuing picks, picks, picks. The Nets want players. The Jazz want picks. And look what they mm. look what they got um, from Rudy Gobert. They're definitely going to look to flip Patrick Beverly and Malik Beasley and down the line. Um, so it's really kind of a waiting game. Everyone who is – I mean, I hadn't really talked to people about it like around the league. I haven't made a lot of calls the last two weeks. But, like, late, late July – the impression was certainly at the matter of when, not if mm. New York will get him at certain, at a certain point, but the Knicks are very clear, clearly trying to draw the line and not outbidding themselves mm -hmm. because Toronto is probably the only team that could really 
match a similar type of value package if they're putting OG Ananobi and Gary Trent and picks on, on the table. Um, but, you know, the Knicks can give eight picks, even yep. if they just give six picks. No one can compete with that. So it does seem like the market is certainly, um, you know, the Knicks have it in their in their favor. They kind of hold all the balls in that court right now. A few years ago, Jake, it felt like LeBron was going to the Lakers. It was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Essentially the worst kept secret in the NBA. It feels like to me Donovan Mitchell to the New York Knicks has been something that people have talked about for yeah. years, that so many people have talked about it for so long that it's just going to happen. Yeah, it's very possible. Um because the Knicks have been looking for one guy. Like Jalen Brunson was not their number one guy. Right. They have been saying behind the scenes and to people like, you know, Jalen's a guy that players are going to want to come play with. So, you know, what are the, really the merits of a Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell backcourt remains to be seen. Yeah. But they do believe that it'll if it's not Donovan, it'll be somebody else, that they'll get a star player to want to come to New York to play with Jalen Brunson, just like kind of Luka Doncic did in Dallas, even though it was a drafted organic situation, but someone will want to be the Luca to Jalen in New York. That's their, that's their hope and their goal. He is uh, Bleacher Reports NBA insider, also an author of the book Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Um, you've seen his scoops, you've read his stuff throughout the course of this offseason and many, many offseasons in the past. Jake Fisher. Jake, great stuff, man. I really appreciate you joining me today. Um, yeah, man. And I look forward to being on your podcast coming up shortly. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me. We will talk in a few minutes. Sounds good.